0: Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. The title of my message this morning is, What's Going On In Your Heart? What's Going On In Your Heart? And um, just a, as, as a means of introduction, we're going to open up with Proverbs chapter... 13. Proverbs 13, verse 12. Most of us are familiar with this passage of Scripture. It says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it's a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it is a tree of life. And every one of us sitting here this morning needs to realize that there's something going on in our hearts. Everyone here this morning has got a heart condition, so to speak. I'm not speaking medically speaking, I'm speaking now spiritually. You've got a heart condition this morning. And whatever your heart condition is determining what your life is looking at or looking like today. What your life is looking like today is a direct reflection of what is going on in your heart. Okay, you guys get what I'm saying? So the condition of your heart today is the exact reason why your life is looking like it is looking. Why the relationships around you is looking like it's looking. Why everything is looking like it's looking. It's because of the condition of your heart. And even with regards to this passage of Scripture, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You might be sick today. You might be... One of the translations that's talking about, I think it's the Passion Translation, says that um, where hope is not coming to fruition there's depression. And so you can imagine wanting something the whole time, and you're wanting it, and you're wanting it, and you're wanting it, and it's not coming to pass. Hope deferred. Hoping for something, and it's not coming to pass. It's not coming to pass. It's not coming to pass. pass. You can imagine for all of us, it would make you sick. It will make you tired. It will make you feel worn out. But then Proverbs gives us the answer to this in a very simple way, but when desire comes at the tree of life, where do we see the reference, the first reference of a tree of life in the Bible? Genesis. In Genesis, there were two trees. Oftentimes, the church is focused on the one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Everything is about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Every storybook, kinder, children, animation, knowledge of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil, the apple, the fruit. Why? That wasn't God's will. Why is the church majoring on the mistake? Why is it not majoring on the solution, the tree of life? And so for all of us, if we want to experience healthy hearts, we need to start off with this foundation that we've received the tree of life. We are enjoying the tree of life, Jesus. And when your hope is set in Jesus and Jesus alone, it makes it very easy for you to, Be free from a heart of offense. Be free from a heart of uh, sickness, as Proverbs says here in King James. Proverbs 4, verse 23, we'll look at uh, verse 23 and then we'll jump to the previous verses. I'll read from the New Living here. And it says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Again, saying the same thing. Now this phrase, guarding your heart, is not what you think it is. Oftentimes we think, I'm going to guard my heart, so I'm not going to allow people in. I'm not going to be vulnerable with people because I want to guard my heart. Uh, people have hurt me so much in life, I've been disappointed so much in life, so I'm going to guard my heart and not going to have any expectations on people anymore. I'm not going to open up my heart for love anymore because I've been disappointed and people have broken my heart over and over and over again, so I'm going to guard my heart. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about guarding our hearts to that reference. Because if Jesus did that, he would have never spent time with Judas. If Jesus did that, he would have never fellowshiped or chosen Peter. He knew what Peter was going to do. He knew what Judas was going to do. So he didn't guard his heart in that sense. Guarding a heart is very much about what we're allowing to come into our hearts and take root into our hearts. It's like a garden. If you think about a garden, a garden is only a garden if there's life happening there. You've you've planted some seeds there, but when you've planted some seeds because of nature and the environment, some other things are going to come in there, right? Some weeds. So you don't stop the gardening process, take all of the flowers out and just have ground there because you want to avoid the weeds you guys get what I'm saying? So guarding your heart does not mean remove everyone from your life and avoid everyone from coming into your life. No, we cannot do that. But we can determine how we're responding to those weeds, how we deal with them, how we take them out and continue enjoying the good. Even with regards to Hannes' word, like there's going to be some messiness Like, I'm not going to stop having ice cream just because some ice cream is melted over my hand at some point in time. Amen? You guys don't like ice cream. I love ice cream. Um, So just because there's some messiness happening doesn't mean we're just chucking it all out. And so when it's talking about guarding our hearts above all ours, it's talking about what are we valuing? What are we allowing to shape our hearts? Because whatever is shaping our hearts is determining the course of our lives. It's very basic, it's very simple. Now, think about this. The New Living says, guard your heart above all else, meaning that this is the most important thing that you can do. Above all else, meaning that there's some things that you need to do, but above all else, guard your heart. Now, if something has the power to determine the course of our lives, as we see in verse 23 here, We should deem it as very important. But how many of us, if you have to be truthful about the matter, how many of you are really intentional about what you're allowing to come into your hearts? What are you allowing to shape your hearts? What are you allowing to to take your heart captive, so to speak? We need to be intentional because King Solomon said, yeah, do this above all else. Think about this, the word guarding. Guarding is a, is a, is a prison sense or a, a, a prison um, concept. So if you, if you think about prison, back in the day, it's probably different today. If there was a prison guard, um, he, would be, he would be entrusted with all of the prisoners. His, his, his job would be to make sure they don't escape, right? If the prisoners would escape, his life would be on the stake, right? That God's life would be on the stake if the prisoners that was in his guard escaped from that prison. And that is how important this is. Each one of us, I can't do this for you. I've often said this in, in in our different meetings and gatherings. I can't determine what the condition of your heart is looking like. I can scatter the seed. I'm sowing seed this morning. But each one of you sitting here this morning, because of the condition of your heart, because of the things that you've allowed to shape your heart, is going to respond to this word differently. The fruitfulness of the seed is going to look differently in your life because of the condition of your heart. So guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Let's jump down to the previous verses. And I'm going to look at the Passion Translation. And so this is now giving us a little bit more context with regards to guarding our hearts and uh, 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 for the importance of it determines the course of our lives. And says, listen carefully, my dear children, to everything that I teach you. Okay, so there's, a, there's an emphasis there on teaching. And pay attention to all that I have to say. Fill your thoughts with my words until they penetrate deep into your spirit. Then as you unwrap my words, they will impart true life and radiant health into the very core of your being. So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of love. So guarding our hearts in this context is specifically with regards to the things that we are receiving, the the, the words and the teaching that we are receiving in life. In life, when we're outside of church settings, when we're when we, um, at work, there's different things that people are saying, different things that we see on TV, different things that are trying to shape our hearts, trying to affect our hearts, trying to, 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 to determine what we need to value and don't value. And so in light of all those things, we need to guard our hearts by sowing the Word continually on a daily basis. Receiving the Word on a daily basis. I love this illustration. And uh, we see this in Ephesians chapter 5 as well, where uh, it's encouraging the husbands to wash their wives with the Word of God. And that picture of washing is a very beautiful picture. And uh, I almost see it like, I've used this example before, but uh, I'm sure I haven't uh, used it in a while. If this cup was was full of water that has been um, uh, polluted with some ORAS, so to speak. Um, If there was some ORAS mixed into this water in this cup, um, one of the the ways in in reference to that example that I would get the ORAS out of the water, I can't physically separate the ORAS in the water, right? You guys get, maybe biologically, I don't know if you're very clever, you could do that, but I'm sure it will cost a lot of money if there was some technology that could separate that ORAS from the water and make it pure water again, having the same amount of water, not having lost it. Water. And so, one of the amazing things that you would do is if you kept pouring fresh water into this cup, the cup will start spilling over, right? And if you keep pouring fresh water, eventually the Oros water would have become diluted, more diluted, diluted, diluted to the point where it's just fresh water in there. And so, that's the picture of the washing of the word that we need to remember. We're not going to be able to just chuck out the oros with the water in our lives. We're not just going to be able to uh, undo the whole garden. That's not how our hearts work. In a natural sense, you can go to your garden, there's a bunch of flowers, there's a bunch of weeds, and you can say like, okay, I'm going to take it all out and start from scratch. Who of you knows that you can't do that with your heart? There's no starting from scratch. But there's starting with one step at a time. Making a decision... To renew your mind, to wash yourself with the Word, today, tomorrow, the day after tomorrow. And so that's the invitation that we need to take to heart, to guard our hearts by sowing the Word, by washing what is going on or by washing what has been going on in our hearts with the Word, washing our hearts with the Word. That is what it's talking about when we guard our hearts. That is a godly guarding of our hearts. So another way to really look at it is to tend our hearts like a gardener is garden. We need to garden our hearts. And Jesus explains this to us in the parable of the sower. And we're going to jump into the explanation. So so the parable is started in Mark chapter 4 in the beginning. And then Jesus explains the parable to his disciples. And the cool thing with parables that we need to take note of, this is just a sidetrack. If someone tells a parable in the Bible, we need to allow the the, the the author of the parable to explain the parable for us. And if there's no explanation, like there's probably a reason why there's not an explanation. But oftentimes, what we, we want to do with the word, we go to parables and then we make up our own explanations of it. We don't look at what did the What did the author actually mean by sharing this parable in this context? And so that was just for free. I hope that uh, blesses or challenges someone. So Jesus says, let me explain. Verse 14. The farmer sows the word as seed. So what does the word refer to? As seed. Okay, so he sows the seed. And what falls on the beaten path represents those who hear the word. So it's, it's listing now four heart conditions. The seed is the word... And the ground is the heart condition of man. Okay, So that's the parable. It's, it's using a picture language to draw an analogy, to draw a comparison. So the farmer sows the seed, which is the word, and then the heart conditions or the ground represents the heart of man, the heart condition of man. So it says, what falls on the beaten path represents those who hear the word, they receive the seed, But immediately Satan appears and snatches it from their hearts. The seed sown on gravel represents those who hear the word, receive it joyfully, but because their hearts fail to sink a deep root into the word, they don't endure for long. For when trouble or persecution comes on account of the word, they immediately wilt and fall away. Then, The seed sown among thorns represents those who hear the word, but they allow the cares of this life and the seduction of wealth and the desires for other things to crowd out and choke the word so that it produces nothing. But the seed sown on the good soil represents those who open their hearts to receive the word and their lives bear good fruit. Some yield a harvest of 30, 60, And even 100 times more than what was sown. And so, when we're talking about what is the condition of our hearts this morning, each one of us here has a heart condition towards the Word. Each one of us is in a place where the Word is affecting us to one degree or another. And the amazing thing with this parable that Jesus is explaining is it's one seed, the Word. Four different heart conditions. The same seed. Each one of us here this morning is receiving the same word, but because of a heart condition, we'll respond to it differently. This this parable is linked to the parable in Matthew chapter seven, where we see Jesus talking about the wise man and the fool. And we talked about that in the beginning of the year. And both the wise man and the fool heard the word. As we see here in this parable, every heart condition got given the seed. Every one of the four soils, ground conditions, received the same seed, the same word. But each one of them, one of them, responded differently. The fruitfulness in those hearts looked differently. And so we have to ask ourselves this question what is my heart condition like today? Because your heart condition today is determining the fruitfulness of the seed that you're receiving. God's Word is talked about as the incorruptible seed, meaning that we can't change it, the effect of it. It is powerful. But how we respond to it is determining the fruitfulness thereof. So the condition of our heart today is determining the fruitfulness of our lives and determining the course of our lives but we need to remember we can't blame God. We can't blame the seed because the seed is perfect. We're living in a culture where it's, it's nicer and it's easier to blame someone else. Right? I don't know if... I know a few people and it's frustrating to be around people who, who want to blame someone else all the whole time. I, at some point, when I didn't want to take responsibility of things, I would always make excuses. I was late because... My alarm didn't go off. I don't know if anyone of you has been in a position where your alarm didn't come off and then 10 minutes (laughs) before you had to leave the house, you're like, wow, okay, and then miracles happen in 10 minutes of getting ready. Now, life happens, I get that. But we need to take responsibility of our actions. We need to put things in place so that we don't fall into those traps of alarms not going off or this or that or the next thing. Leave an hour earlier so that if you get a flat tire, you're not late for meeting. For example, so there's things that you can do that will help you not be the the person who continues making excuses for their late coming or this or that or the next thing or why they didn't fulfill that task or why they weren't on time. There's always reasons, but it's not excuses. So we need to Bold, almost a a resistance towards making excuses. Maybe that's a word for someone. Maybe like you, you're a you're a serial excuse maker. (laughs) Like, believe it or not, it's a it's a thing. Like where people are really like they don't want to take responsibility, so they rather make excuses upon excuses upon excuses always. And I, I always talk about this in, with regards to relationships and, and uh, in marriage. We talk about this in the, the seminar as well. Even if I'm 10% wrong in a, in a, in a, in a conflict resolution or if Kath and myself have a, have a, um, a disagreement and there's a, a 10% uh, um, responsibility that I need to take, for example... She, what would be a good example? We don't really have fallouts or have disagreements at all, if I think about it. <laughs> I'm just joking. We do have them. Um, but it's so little that it's difficult to use an example. But imagine this quickly. I don't do the dishes, okay? So I don't do the dishes, and Catherine asked me to do the dishes. She had a difficult day. And I kind of say, I'm going to do the dishes, and then something happens, and I don't do the dishes. Okay, cool. So now I did say I was going to do it. I need to take responsibility of that, right? If I wasn't going to do it or if I wasn't going to be able to do it, don't say you're going to do it. Cool? So I say I'm going to do it. I don't do it. And then she has a fallout. She throws all of my clothes out of the the, the cupboard. She says, you're going to move out. I'm done. I'm finished. Get out. Okay. So... All of us, if we'd have a court hearing, all of us would easily say, like, Catherine overreacted. Okay? Maybe some of you won't won't think that. So Catherine overreacted. So she had a 90% fault in that fallout, in what happened, right? But I had a 10% uh, uh, um, effect or, or a part in that fallout, right? So what I can't do, I can't take responsibility for how she responded, her, uh, how she reacted, but I can't take responsibility for my 10% in the part that I played. Next time, don't just say something and say, yeah, I'll do it, but then you don't take responsibility and take it as my, my, my word is my oath. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Because that's also something that we see in culture and society when people say they're going to do things, it just becomes very easy to just like, even if you think about technology, 100 years ago, people would see one another, they would travel by a horse, I believe it was still 100 years ago, if my timeline is out, just bear with me. Uh, They would travel by horse, they would see one another, they would write letters to one another and that kind of communication and we'd say like, okay, Nadine, Devon, we're going to see you guys in three months' time at this specific location. We see each other and then we say our goodbyes. No communication. Like we could maybe write letters, but if I want to cancel the day before a meeting and write a letter and send it by mail, it's not going to get to them in time, Right? So I won't do that. People were so committed to their word that if they said they're going to do something and they were going to do it, then they're not going to cancel it last minute. But because of technology and all of these, these things, it's actually become crutches for us that has made it very easy for us to just change our word on a regular daily basis. And we need to refrain from those things because it affects our hearts. And that was none of that was in my notes. So I believe that uh, that bless someone, encourage someone to really take your word seriously, to not numb your heart and become a person who's a, a serial excuse maker, who's a serial uh, uh, changer of your word, so to speak. Let's go to Matthew thirteen. Matthew thirteen, verse fifteen says, King James first, and then we'll look at the New Living. It says, "For this people's heart." is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. So we'll uh, look at this, this term, wax gross, in a moment. The New Living says it like this, for the hearts of the people are hardened, Their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear. And their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. This is quite radical. So here there's a, there's a, there's a, again, a reference to there's something that, that can happen. There's a conversion, there's a healing that can take place. But because of the hardened heart, because of the 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 heart that's been waxed grows it's impossible for people to experience life to experience fruitfulness now this term waxed grows was translated in the new living as hardened why because the 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 um the strong's concordance defines this as to thicken or to fatten render callous anyone know what a callous is uh uh um What's African? A yield. No? Yeah, a yield. So it's a a yield that you form on your hands, for example. Or if you play guitar, you form calluses on your fingers. It's skin that becomes hard. Now, if anyone of you have played guitar before, it's sore the first few months. Like it just sore, it hurts. But you press through. And then eventually, the calluses are so hard that you don't feel the pain anymore. This term callus is also, um, or why, why it used the word, the, the translation, wax crows, it was also ref, referencing the olden days, how they made candles. If you take a piece of string and it's dipped in wax, and then it cools down, then a layer is formed, right? And then you dip it again, another layer is formed. And if you repeat the process over and over again, it thickens and then eventually you've got a, a big candle versus just a string. And so, What Jesus is communicating here and what we're seeing throughout the Word and throughout this message is that a callus or a candle isn't just formed overnight. It's formed over a prolonged period of time and through repetition. Doing it again and again and again and again. And I think all of us have experienced this where you do something whether it's sin or just something wrong or something that you shouldn't be doing, even over-binging a series. None of you, obviously, years over-binged the series or done too much Netflix. Um, but you kind of do something and you just overdo it and you like, afterwards you're like, man, that was just a waste of time. But then you kind of do it again and you feel less bad about it. And then if you do it, if you've done it a hundred times, there's no more remorse there's no more feeling of like man I've just wasted my time. You you've, you've lost consciousness of that reality, the fact that it's sucking away your time and it's not adding anything to your life. And the same thing with our hearts becoming hardened. That's why when 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 Solomon wrote about this in Proverbs 4, "Guard your heart above all else." Because it's that important. Because if you make a mistake now, or if you value the, 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 the circumstances and magnify the circumstances and the situation over the Word of God once, if you do that today, tomorrow it's going to be easier to do it. The day after tomorrow, it's going to be even more easier to magnify the circumstances above the Word of God. In a week's time, in a year's time, you're going to be all about magnifying your circumstances and you've forgotten about the promise of God's Word. And your life looks like a mess. And you wake up one morning and you're wondering, why, how did I get here? It's because your heart has become hardened. But it didn't just happen overnight, it's over time and time and time. So that's why it's vitally important for all of us to guard our hearts, to wash our hearts with the Word of God continually and daily. And guarded against society and how the world wants to direct it and shape our lives and shape our decision making. Mark chapter 6, we're coming to a close. Mark chapter 6, verse 51 to 52. And he went up unto them into the ship. So, this is the account of Jesus walking on water and the disciples being in the boat and there's a storm and it's just chaos. And Jesus walked up to them into the ship and the wind ceased and they were so amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their hearts was hardened. They consider not the miracle of the loaves. So this is the disciples and they've seen More than one account of Jesus taking a few fish and a few bread and feeding thousands of people. But their hearts became hardened and they did not consider these things. Last week we looked at Abraham and what he considered in Romans chapter 4. And he did not become weak in faith by considering the circumstances. So what did Abraham do? He guarded his heart against the circumstances. He guarded his heart against what the natural circumstances said, and his heart was full of the word and the promise of God. And he magnified that. Now, his heart could have been shaped by circumstances. Because Abraham wasn't living in some reality that did not exist, he was living in his flesh just like you and me. He got hungry. Jesus Himself got hungry. Jesus Himself got tired. And so when we see examples from the Word of God where people did something amazing, something that seems impossible, they weren't any different than us today. Some of the people that accomplished amazing things in the Bible were actually in a worse of position than than we are today. Because we are filled with and empowered, anointed with the Spirit of God 24-7. Some of the characters in the Bible did not have that 24-7. Even Jesus' disciples before His crucifixion, they did not have that. And so sometimes we look at the disciples and we're like, man, I wish I was was Peter and John and all of these guys who got to walk with Jesus. Imagine how challenging. And a lot of people, as, as, uh, uh, as we see in the Gospels, Jesus could not do many miracles in his hometown. Why? Because people knew him too well after the flesh. And that's why for us in life oftentimes, some of you are struggling to receive from me because you know me more after the flesh than after the Spirit. And the same for every one of your brothers and sisters sitting in Christ next to you, whether your spouse, whether a friend. You know them more after the flesh than after the Spirit, so you're struggling to receive from them when they bring you a word, when they've prayed for you and God's uh, uh, led them to encourage you with a specific word. That is also a side note for someone to receive and be blessed by and grow through that. So the disciples did not consider the miracles of their lives because their hearts became hardened. Again, it didn't just happen overnight. They didn't wake up with hardened hearts. It happened over time. And that's why we need to guard our hearts above all else. Choosing daily, being intentional about what are we allowing to shape my heart? What am I allowing to put a layer, so to speak, over my heart? You can put good layers over your heart. If I have to use the reference of of um, wax and a candle that is being dipped, or you can put bad layers over your heart. Because the opposite of a hardened heart is a softened heart. But a softened heart is also a heart that is being almost formed and shaped daily. So it's also a process. It doesn't just happen overnight, soft heart. Spiritually speaking, we, our hearts of stone have become hearts of flesh, yes. But that's the Spirit of God dwelling in us. But now with regards to our belief system, what we value, what, what we what we prioritize, what we magnify, that needs to be shaped daily, continually. 1 Corinthians 2, 12-14 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Okay, so it's emphasizing... Spiritual, comparing spiritual with spiritual, magnifying spiritual matters. But, verse 14, the natural man receives not the things of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now this is not talking about an unbeliever. This is very much talking about a believer who is carnally minded. In Romans chapter 8 we see this. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Your mind, your heart can be spiritual in the sense of being born again, having God's spirit dwell in you, but your mind and your belief system can be carnal. And so whenever the Bible talks about our heart or our mind or things like that, oftentimes it uses terms interchangeably, and sometimes it's a little bit confusing because we think, okay, cool. Now it's talking about, I'm an unbeliever, I'm just a sinner. No, it's talking about your mindset. It's not talking about your nature. And so you can be a born-again believer, a child of God who is kindly minded. A natural man not receiving the things of the Spirit of God. Being numb to them, being hardened towards them. Because of your emphasis, because of your focus. So in the same way, the positive is this, in the same way that we harden our hearts through processes, through uh, 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 um, continuation in something, in the same way we get to soften our hearts. See this beautiful plying and molding in Psalm, Psalm 37, I'm going to read verse 1 to 3 from the Passion and then verse 4 from the King James. Don't follow after the wicked ones or be jealous of their wealth. Don't think for a moment they're better off than you. They and their short-lived success will soon shrivel up and quickly fade away like grass clippings in the hot sun. Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in His eyes. Fix your eyes or fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure feasting on His faithfulness. I'm going to read that again. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure feasting on His faithfulness. Verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Delight, meaning to be soft, meaning to be pliable. If we put our hearts in God's hands, if we allow our hearts to be washed with the Word of God, that is putting it in His hands we're having our hearts be pliable, be softened, be molded like clay. And before we know it, our desires change, our our goals change, the things we value change. And so that's God's invitation for all of us this morning, for this year, for the rest of our lives to continually allow our hearts to be pliable through His Word, to, to be washed with His Word, to to magnify His Word, to allow the Spirit to lead us and not the flesh, not the carnal, to not compare ourselves among ourselves because that's not wise for many reasons. But to be focused on God's leading and to not fall into the trap of thinking oh, one time compromising is it's not going to be that bad. One time making a bad decision, it's not going to be that bad. God is never holding your sin against you. He's not keeping record of your sin. But in life, the way that our life is going currently is because of decisions we've made, value systems that we've built, and our hearts having become hardened towards the Spirit of God, become hardened towards the leading of His Spirit. And so all of us get to... From today, walk out of this this gathering and say, Father, like I've I've maybe formed a hardened heart in this in this area with regards to this relationship or with regards to this invitation that you have for me. Maybe some of you have just kind of not made decisions for for growth, and some of you have just decided like. I'm just gonna come to church on Sundays, and that's all of it. Like, I'm not gonna engage in life group. I don't want any of that. Like, I've had that. I've done that. I've ticked the box. It's not really for me. Um, I've done seminars on Saturdays. That's not really for me. Like, I've done that. Like, that's just for the oversaved or people who are bored. Um, ministry school. I've done a few of those as well. And like, I, I know the word pretty well. All of the that talk. Guess what talk that is talk of heart and heart. And if your heart is hardened towards the invitations of God, it's going to affect the fruitfulness of your life. You get to determine whether your heart is going to produce 30, 60, or 100-fold fruitfulness. But guess what? The heart condition that produced 30, 60, and 100-fold fruitfulness was the heart condition that had the least amount of anything else part of the heart, part of the soil. And so that is a heart of openness. That is a heart of, God, you show me. God, you lead me. Giving God a white canvas gives him the opportunity to paint a Mona Lisa. But oftentimes what we do with God is we come to him with a with a 90% completed painting. We're like, God, okay, cool, just do the last finishing touches here. Like, I've got it all sorted out. Like, I've got this plan and then that plan. And that's, that's the picture of a husband that I have. And we're going to have that house and so many kids. And we're going to live in this specific area. Now, you just kind of bring it all together like a puppeteer. Like, Ima- imagine uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Like, uh, if someone came to him with a almost fully painted canvas say Like, okay, cool. Do do the, do the uh, Mona Lisa for us. We wouldn't have had the Mona Lisa today. And so let's not be that kind of people where, where our hearts are so hardened towards God's leading and we incapable of giving Him a white canvas and say, Father, help me. Like, wherever there's areas where I've hardened my heart towards Your, your leading and Your guidance and I've not stepped into giving you the opportunity to bring about fruitfulness in my life, I'm going to repent of that and change the way I see things, change the way I make decisions. Help me. And guess what God will do? He'll help you. Because He is our ever-present help in time of need. But you need to determine, Father, I need you. He's not going to determine it for you. You determine it for yourself. And it's going to require some humility and it's going to require you taking that first step of putting on the first layer. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.ca.